Happy Father's Day. Dads, don't strain yourselves. Don't, don't hurt your back. But celebrate, celebrate. It's your day. We got Dad's root beer up here chilling on ice. Yeah, it is communion. That's... Uh, no. After service, feel free to grab some if it's allowed. Every Father's Day, I get to say some dad's jo- dad jokes. So, so I hope you're ready. Why didn't Hen Solo enjoy his steak dinner? Because it was chewy. (laughs) Yeah. It's a whole other joke there. Did you hear about the racing snail who got rid of his shell? He thought it would make him faster, but it just made him sluggish. (laughs) All right, here's one. This one is true in my house. How many DIY buffs does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but takes two weeks and four trips to the hardware store (laughs) or more (laughs) what do you call a hippie's wife miss a hippie (laughs) yeah perfect you haven't told it good until you get that reaction why did the man name his dogs rolex and timex because they're watchdogs. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> All right, last one. Last one. What do you call a dog that can do magic? A labracadabrador. <laughs> All right. I look forward to that every year, by the way. I know. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to be finishing up Genesis chapter 11 this morning. And we're going to get introduced to a very important person by the end of the chapter. We're going to be introduced to Abram, or as we know him, Abraham. And believe it or not, we're going to take this genealogy this list of generations, we're going to turn it into a Father's Day message. Maybe. So let's read Genesis chapter 11, verses 10 through 32. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Arpachshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and he had other sons and daughters. And when Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber, and Shelah lived after he fathered Eber, 403 years, and he had other sons and daughters. And when Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg, 
And they bare lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Reu. And Peleg lived after he fathered Reu 209 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Reu had lived 32 years, he fathered Serug. And Reu lived after he fathered Serug 207 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Serug had lived 30 years, he fathered Nehor. And Serug lived after he fathered Nehor 200 years. And had other sons and daughters. And when Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, verse 27. These are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. And now Sarah was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son's his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your spirit. And I thank you for your, your strength and your encouragement and your comfort and your grace. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for the fact that you are with us and that you love us, and that you comfort us, and that you stand by us. And as we go through rough days and rough months and, and rough years, you are right there in the midst of it all with us. We thank you for the example that we have in your word, for us as fathers to follow and to live by. We thank you that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You're probably thinking, how are you going to turn that into a Father's Day message? That's what I was thinking. I'm still thinking that, as a matter of fact. We'll see how it turns out. So first here, starting in verse 10, we have the descendants of Shem. Now, as we know, Shem was the son of Noah, and his name is where the word Semites or Semitism comes from. Shem was also called the father of all the children of Eber, or Eber, as it says, tells us in Genesis 10, uh, verse 21. Eber, or Eber, was actually his great-grandson. And uh, Eber's name is where we get the word Hebrew. Anyway, when Shem was 100 years old, it tells us here, he fathered Arpachshad. Arpachshad, when he was 35 years old, he fathered Shelah. Now, it's not Shelah. Okay? No Shelah. Shelah, okay? It means sprout. I'll just throw in name meanings when I feel like it. So it names names sprout. So Shelah, when he was 30 years old, he fathered a bear. A bear, by the way, his name means the region beyond. A bear, when he was 34, he fathered Peleg. Now remember Peleg, right? 
Peleg's name means division or divided. And remember, it told us that when we went through the table of nations, that uh, in his days, in Peleg's days, that was when the earth was divided. So the whole event that we went over about the Tower of Babel and everyone's language being confused and going off and settling all these other nations, 70 nations were listed in the table of nations. It was in Peleg's day when all of that happened. Now, Peleg lived to be 239 years old. So somewhere in his lifetime, I'm guessing somewhere closer to his birth, because generally you name someone after something, right? What's so if it's, that? yeah, be quiet. Uh, my iPad's talking back to me. Stop it. Okay. Anyway, name, normally you name someone after something. So if you're going to name your son division or divided, generally it's because something happened that caused things to be divided or or whatever. So um, they probably named, so it probably happened closer to his birth. Now, if you remember when we were going through the, um, the table of nations, when we got down to Peleg, we also had his brother Joktan. And the table of nations, it didn't give us any of the descendants of Peleg, but it gave us 13 sons of Joktan. Right? Well, now we get to see the descendants of Peleg. They saved him for this part. Right? So we get to follow into Peleg's side of the family now. So when Peleg was 30 years old, he fathered Reu. Reu means friend. And when Reu was 32 years old, he fathered Serug. Serug means branch. And when Serug was 30 years old, he fathered Nahor. Now Nahor's name is interesting. It means snorting. <laughs> you can imagine what he must have sounded like. When his parents the name him Nahor. You almost snort when you say his name. Nahor! When Nahor, when he was 29, he fathered Terah. Terah means station. It can also, there's another meaning for it too, which I forget off the top of my head now. Uh, and who is Terah? Well, Terah is the father of Abraham. Right? So Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran when he was 70 years old. He fathered them all at the same time? Was it triplets? I don't know. It doesn't really say, but it just says that he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran when he was 70 years old. So, but it doesn't end there, right? So now we get a picture of the family life of Terah and his generations, right? So taking his three sons, Abraham, Nahor, who was named after his grandfather, and uh, Haran, a name that means mountaineer. Uh, so Terah had those three sons. And then it says that tells us that Haran fathered Lot, Abraham's nephew. Now, what it doesn't tell us is it doesn't tell us um, if uh, who uh, Haran's mother was. It doesn't say that he was even married. Uh, it just says that Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, the Ur of Chaldeans, the, you know, the, which has got to be heartbreaking, right? It's, it's one thing to lose a child, another thing to lose a child in, in your presence, Right. So it was heartbreaking, of course, for a father to lose his son. So that tells us that Abram and Nahor, the other two sons, they took wives. Abraham married Sarah. Right? Nahor married Milcah, possibly his niece. And we we're told that Sarah was barren and had no child. So then it tells us that Terah took his son, Abram, and his wife, and his Abram's wife, Sarah, and he took his grandson, Lot, and he went 
and they went forth, right, to go to the land of Canaan. So they're leaving from the Ur of Chaldeans, which is Mesopotamia, Babylon. I mean, that's the area we kind of think of it now. Obviously, not all of that was settled at the time. And, uh, and they're going to go into the land of Canaan. But they go about 500 miles, and they get to the city of Haran, or the area of Haran. We have a lot of Harans, and they're probably all related, just in case you were wondering as far as why this region might be named that, right, etc. And they settle there. And that's where Terah eventually passes away at the age of 275. So we have this long list of names again. Just like when we went through back in Genesis chapter 5, when we went through that first list of generations with all those names. And one of the things that we get from it, of course, is a timeline. And so we can continue to add on to the timeline that we already had that led up to the flood, and we now can continue on from that. So we see that now that we've gone, as you add up the dates, we've gone 292 years. From the flood to Abraham being born is 292 years. And if you combine that with the first list of generations that we went through way back when, um, you can see that it's added up to 1948 years since creation, give or take. Right? It's 1949, you missed one. Right? But So we've gone over 1948 years of history and 11 chapters of Genesis. And from chapter 12 to the end of the book, we're only going to cover about 361 years, just you know, to keep it in context so you can see kind of the picture. And by the time we're done with Genesis, assuming we ever finish Genesis, and if the rapture doesn't happen, right, we'll have covered over 2,300 years of history. And to kind of put that in context, Exodus, if you really only look at the life of Moses from, from Exodus 1, uh, verse 8 or whenever we're introduced to Moses, to the end it only covers 80 years. Right, so Genesis covers a lot of a lot of history. It covers a lot of generations. It covers easily so far. We've covered twenty generations, and we've gone through everything that we've gone through so far in this uh, through this. And so, what do we have in this list? What does this list consist of? Well, this list consists of a lot of fathers. Right, right. A list of fathers that travels easily eight or nine generations. Can you go back eight or nine generations on your tree? Can you tell me who your eighth great grandfather was or your ninth great grandfather on your father's side or, you know? Not many people can, but some people can, right? Some people have their tree back quite a long, long ways. What's interesting about all these generations and how much we've covered up until this point is the fact that now we're going to spend basically a third of Genesis from when we start Genesis 12 to Genesis 25, we're going to cover basically a third of the book. And that third of the book only talks about and only is concerned about one person really. And that's Abraham. Genesis spends almost a third of its text on the life of one man. Abram or Abraham. Abraham is mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. He's one of the most famous men, if not the most famous man of the Old Testament. He's one of the most influential men in history, without a doubt. Now here's the thing about Abram, or Abraham. What does his name mean? Well, Abram means exalted father. And Abraham, when his name gets changed to Abraham, 
It means father of a many or father of a multitude. So basically Abraham's name means father. He's the only person in the Bible I'm aware of. You want to prove me wrong? Go ahead. That's named father. And how do we know Abraham? What's he referred to as today? Father Abraham, right? right? Father Abraham. And he's also called what? He's called the father of many nations. And he's also called what? He's called the father of faith. So my question is, and what we're going to kind of look at here, is what makes Abraham a father? Was it just because he fathered kids? Or was it more than that? All right. So let me ask you this. In all the verses I just read, in these 23 verses that we just read, how many times did I say the word fathered? I said it 18 times. 18 times. I only know that because I counted. I said it 18 times. And the word fathered in the Hebrew is the word yelad. Think salad, but with a Y. It's not actually pronounced like that. (laughs) Yalad. Not yalad, but yalad. And it it means to bring forth. It's more of a literal translation of the word. Means to bring forth. Now, often it's translated begot or begat or you know whatever that King James translation is of the word, right? But it can also be translated bear, as in bearing children, or labored, or born, or birth. You understand the idea behind it. The interesting thing is, of course, that fathers didn't give birth, right? They didn't physically give birth to the kids, right? They weren't under that false pretense that biological males can give birth like they are today, right? So the fathers didn't give birth to their, to their children, but they brought them forth nonetheless, right? So what does it mean for a father to bring forth children? What does it mean for a father to bring forth children? Does it mean that they call them out of the womb like Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb, right? Come on, baby. Come on out. No, if anything, that's, that's the mom, right? And she's like, get out of here. Come on, right? The father, he's lucky if he was even paying attention. I only know from my own personal experience. <laughs> Honey, I'm giving birth here. What? <laughs> that was just the first child. By the second child, I had learned to pay attention, right? <laughs> right? No, that's not what it means, obviously. One example of what we can see is an actual literal example, and this is what I'm going to start with, is a literal example of what it means to bringing them forth is what we see with Abraham's father right here at the end of the chapter. At the end of chapter 11, it says that Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from the Ur of Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. So that's a literal example, right? Terah took them, brought them forth, 
right, out of the Ur of Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. Mind you, they never made it to the land of Canaan, but that's what he did. He took them. Now, what's interesting about this statement is, is when you study the calling on Abraham's life, okay, which we haven't gotten to yet. It's right in the next chapter. Don't worry, we'll get there. You'll find that, that this calling that, that God gives to Abram, right? Go from your country, go from your kindred, go from your father's house. That's calling that he gives him. Go into the land that I will show you. He gives them this calling back when they are in the Ur of Chaldeans. That's when he gets the calling. We find that out in Acts chapter 7. And so he got the calling back before his dad led them out of the Ur of Chaldeans. Why do I find that interesting? I find it interesting because sometimes for someone to step out in their calling, they need to be led. They need to be brought forth. My guess is, is that if you name your son father, right, that you know something about him that he doesn't know yet. That you were given that name for a reason. And even though we know that Ur of Chaldeans was a, was a, a, a pagan right, society and they all worshiped different gods and this is what they were coming out of. And it's very likely that, that Abraham and his father or maybe their relatives worshiped you know, different gods. When God called the one true God, when he said to Abraham, come on out, Abraham's father said, pack your bags, we're going. I'm not saying that Abraham wasn't going to go. I'm saying Abraham's father understood the importance of what his calling was. And Abraham's father, as a father should, said, let me lead you out, son. Let me take your hand and go with you as we step out. I can't promise I'm going to make it all the way. I can't promise I'm going to see you all the way there. But I understand the calling that you've received and who you received it from. And I will go with you. And that's where it starts. Right here at the end of this chapter. Because he only made it to Iran and there he passed away. We don't know how long that took or how old Abraham was. We know when Abraham left there, he was 75, but we don't know the age or anything up until that point. Abraham stayed with his father until he passed away as any good child would. But it's possible that even Abraham had a little, he had a few doubts. He's like, what? Who, what call it? What? Lord, you want me to do what? Go somewhere where you haven't even shown me yet. I'm just supposed to go you're going to show me where I'm going later, right? Where am I? I want to know more. And Abraham's father said, no, no, pack your bags. Pack your bags, son. Follow me. And he stepped out with Abraham and took him as far as he could until he was too tired or too worn out or too sick or too whatever to go any farther. So as an example of a father, a literal example about bringing forth. There's one right there with Abraham's dad. Right? He brought his son forth. Brought his family forth. He also provided another example for Abraham, and that's in taking care of Lot. Right? 
So bringing forth means to lead them, right? You're leading them by words. You're leading them by deeds. You're leading them by example. You're leading them by faith. Because trust me, even though Abraham's father is not mentioned in the hall of faith, Abraham is, for this moment, it took faith for Abraham's father to take him out of there as well. Right? All these fathers that we have in this list here, more than likely, raise their kids by word and deed. Right? You know, by example. Abraham's father, after the loss of Abraham's other brother, he took his grandson Lot, took his family, right? And they headed out with him. And he watched over Lot. But remember, his father passed away. Abraham was around 75. Who watched over Lot after that? Abraham did. Who took Lot with him when he went into Canaan? Abraham did, right? Just as he was shown by example, also from his father, right? In Ephesians 4.1, Paul tells us, and this is for all believers, but I'm going to apply it to you dads, right? Paul tells us, urges us, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And what that means is, fathers, is that our walk and our talk should be reflecting our life of following the Lord, right? Of loving God. Our life is integrity, as it tells us in Proverbs 27. It says, the righteous who walks in integrity, blessed are his children after him. Right? So that's for fathers. The righteous father who walks in integrity. Blessed are his children after him. So your children need you to be an example for them. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Right? And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You see your child's gifting. You see that what, how the Lord has called your child. What do you do? You lead them in that direction. You train them up that way. You train them up in the word of God, in their gifting, knowing that that's the way God made them so that they won't depart from it later, that they'll understand what truth is. They'll understand what God's word says about who they are. If anything, culturally today, if we see anything in culture today, what it shows us is that families without fathers are seriously missing a piece of the puzzle that's causing lots and lots of issues. Because young men specifically need that example to follow. Need that father in their life. A father who's committed to them. Committed to raising them. Right? Committed to bringing them up in the truth and in the word committed to pointing them in the right direction and leading them out and bringing them forth. We don't have that a lot. So how are you training up your children, fathers? How are you training up your children? Have you heard this phrase? Do what I say, not what I do. Maybe you've used it, right? I'm sure I have. This is the unfortunate mantra today of many dads. 
Don't let it be yours. <laughs> your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, what do they do? They observe and they learn from your actions, from your behavior. Regardless of what you say you believe, they learn from what you do and how you do it. Because you can say lots of things. <laughs> so don't you know, do what I say, not what I do, no. Do what I say and what I do. Follow me. Let it be both word and deeds, right? Because everything that you do, whether it be good or bad, whether it be wrong or right, you know, everything that you do influences your children and those who are watching you. It's a sobering thought, honestly. Fatherhood is one of the first jobs given to man. I mean, think about it. God created marriage, right? Adam and Eve. And he told them to what? Be fruitful and multiply. And they did. So one of the first jobs God gave to him before even really the job of the garden was be parents. Right? Be a father, Adam. So it's a relationship unto the, it's, it, unto the Lord. God gave it to you. Right? So consider your relationship with God the most important one. And model that for your children. Set your heart on God. Model that for your children. The scripture says, it tells us in James chapter 2, verse 23, it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. He was called a friend of God. People knew immediately. Maybe not right off, you know, early, you know, who knows what early Abraham looked like, you know, maybe. But later on, Abraham... Because of his relationship with God, because he believed God, because of his faith in God, it was counted to him as righteousness. And people looked at him and they said, he's a friend of God. You want your children to look at you and say, he's a friend of God. That's what you want. So you want to fear God. You want to fear God. Because it says, whoever fears the Lord, as it tells us in Proverbs 14, he has a secure fortress and for their children, it will be a refuge. For your children. So fathers, right? Know God. Love God. Honor your wife and lead by faith. And lead by faith. It says, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. It tells us in Hebrews 11, by faith. Right? It tells us in Joshua 24 too that they came out of this land that served other gods. Yet when that one true when the one true God called, by faith, Abraham went. That's a great picture of your faith. Because you can be in the world, but not of the world. Right? Abraham, surrounded by all these other pagan idols and pagan religions, all influenced, of course, more than likely by Nimrod and Babylon and all these things. He can be surrounded by that. But when God calls, the true God, says, Abraham, come on. Come follow me. I'm not telling you where you're going yet, but come follow me. Abraham says, okay, right? We don't know if it was immediate, but it says by faith he did it. By faith. By faith. With a little help from his dad, right? By faith. 
Because it says that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. That's what Abraham was looking forward to. And he looked forward to that by faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. Abraham didn't have to know where he was going. Because by faith he stepped out. By faith. Right? This is the same faith that later in Abraham's life, when his son Isaac is grown up, it's the same faith when God says, Abraham, sacrifice your son to me. Right? Tells us in Hebrews 11, again, chapter 17 and 18, or verse 17 and 18, says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in fact the offspring an act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Why did he do that? He did that because he believed God would raise him from the dead. He had faith. Guess what? It wasn't just Abraham's faith involved in that. It was Isaac's faith as well. It shows us that Abraham's faith had grown over the years. I mean, where do, your, your faith had to have grown. It's one thing by faith to follow God to where you don't know where you're going exactly. It's another thing by faith to offer up your son as an offering. Literally. That takes a whole other step of faith. So that shows his faith had grown. He is so trusting of the Lord and so believing of the Lord's word when, his son, when God said, put your son up on that altar as an offering to me now. Burn him right there. Abraham said, okay, do you have that faith? Right? Do you have that faith? But guess what? Like I said, it wasn't just Abraham because Isaac had that faith too. But where did he get that faith from? He got that faith from his father. From seeing the example that his father was leading. Isaac trusted his father. I mean, we'll get more into this when we reach chapter 22 of Genesis. We're not quite there yet. Well, let's just say that Isaac was old enough to defend himself if needed. If Isaac didn't want to get up on that altar, Isaac was not getting up on that altar. He wasn't a little five-year-old boy. He could have you know, brought Abraham down really quickly. Isaac willingly offered himself up for his father. And that only comes through faith. The example of which was set for him, of course, by his father, Abraham. Now, Abraham, of course, wasn't perfect. Abraham made lots of mistakes. We're going to see him as we start studying Abraham's life and getting into it. Abraham had this habit of, of you know, getting into problems, right? He wasn't necessarily lying, but he got himself into some issues. They did get the cart ahead of the horse. That's where we have Ishmael. They were trying to fulfill God's promises themselves. I don't know if I'm ever going to see God's promises fulfilled. Let's just go ahead and do this uh, another way. Right? That, hey, it wasn't a mistake. It was purposeful. But Abraham wasn't perfect. But guess what? For his mistakes, he's not remembered for those. He's not. We don't remember Abraham for his mistakes. We remember him for his faith. And we remember him because he was a father. He was father. Abraham. That's how we remember him. Right? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had. How many sons? Trivia question. How many sons did Father Abraham have? More than one. Good, good way to cover yourself, Peter. Right? <laughs> he had eight. He had eight. Because after Sarah died, 
Right? After Sarah died, he married Keturah, and Keturah gave him six sons. That's in, it's in Genesis. We'll get there. Read your Bibles. But here's the thing. Abraham's name meant father. Abraham lived under the auspice of that name his entire life. Wondering probably if it was ever going to come true. Why did my dad name me father? Right? I'm not a father. I don't have any kids. My wife's barren. We don't have any children. Right? Until he was 86 years old, of course, with the birth of Ishmael through Hagar, or when he was 100 years old with the birth of Isaac to his wife Sarah. But up until that point, right, this is why when God comes to Abraham and he says, listen, Sarah's going to bear a child, right? Abraham laughs at the idea. He's just like, what? Is a child going to be born to a man who's 100 years old? Give me a break. That's ridiculous, right? And when Sarah heard it, of course, she laughed at the idea as well. Ha, ha, ha. There's no way, right? Which is why the kid's named Isaac, which means laughter, because they both laughed over the idea of having kids at that age in life. I mean, the average age for people, uh, his, you know, his relatives, his, you know, we're all having kids in 32, right? That was the average age. They're all having kids at 32. Abraham's over 75 years old. He's going into the 80s. He's like, we're not having kids. That's a ridiculous thought. I mean, we would think that today too, right? Of course, it's not, it's not like that across the board, of course. I mean, in the last 70 years, the oldest person to have had a child was 101 years old. The oldest man who fathered the child was 101. That happened in 1951. In the last 10 years, the oldest man to become a father was 96. Right? That was 10 years ago, actually. So that's not to say it never happens, but it's not, it doesn't happen enough that we're, you know, you know I mean, we're going to have, you know, a 70, 80-year-old guy, I'm going to go father me a couple, 10 more kids. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Probably not going to happen. But, you know. So Abraham had that hanging over him his entire life. And when God brings these promises to him, he's like, what? When's that going to happen? How am I going to be the father of many nations? How am I going to have multitudes that you can't even count like the stars in the sky or whatever? How's that going to happen? Why did you name me father? I don't get it. Right? I don't get it. So we ask the question again, well, what made Abraham a father? Was it just that he had children? Because we know he eventually had children. And those children had children. And from that came the nation of Israel. And eventually it leads to Jesus. Was that what made Abraham a father? Or was it his faith in God's promises? Is that what made Abraham a father? Because what did God promise? I mean, it was more than just promising Abraham his son. It was more than just promising that he'll make him a great nation. It was more than just promising that his heirs will be greater than the number of the stars in the heavens, right? He promised a savior. He promised a Messiah. He promised salvation. He promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And guess what? He promised it long before Abraham was born. And God is seeing his promise fulfilled, right? He's seeing it through. It came from down through Adam and Eve and their son Seth and continues down through Noah and his son Shem. Shem, by the way, was the seventh great grandson of Seth. And guess what Abraham is? He's the seventh great grandson of Shem. And it's just going on down. 
and it goes back over 1900 years from, you know, before Abraham. The promise and Abraham's faith in the promises of God is what made Abraham a father. What God promises, he fulfills. And then with that, it tells us in Galatians 3, it says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. So we can call him Father Abraham and not be wrong about it, whether or not we're directly related to him or not. Right? You know, those of faith, the Bible tells us, those of faith are sons of Abraham. Those of faith are sons of Abraham. Romans 4, 16 says, this is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Abraham. Father Abraham. Who was a father because of his faith in God and his faith in the promises of God, knowing that God would fulfill what he promised. There is no greater honor for me that's been given to me than that of being a father. And that honor was given to me by Jesus and my wife. And it's the toughest job I have. The toughest, without a doubt, right? Fathers know what I'm talking about, right? You sit there with all the smiles and be like, yeah, thank God I'm not talking about it. But it's true. It's the toughest job we have. I mean, it brings me to my knees probably daily. I make mistakes as a father all the time. Right? Just ask my kids. He wouldn't let me play computers all day. He made me go outside. <laughs> but it's a tough job for a reason. And it can be discouraging, without a doubt. That was weird. However, there's an old saying, which is, and I've quoted this before, but he who never made a mistake never made anything. Just remember that, though. Remember this, Dad, fathers. First thing I want you to remember is that you're not alone. Right? We are in Christ. Right? We, are, we are in a spiritual family that is united by faith and by the blood of Jesus. We're not alone. We think we're alone sometimes, a lot, right? We're not. And it doesn't just go for husbands either, wives. You're not alone. Parents, we're not alone in what we do. Your struggles aren't unique. You may think they are, but other people are going through the same things. Other people have already gone through the same things. 
That's why when your parents want to give you advice, you should listen sometimes. Sometimes. Just depends on the advice. Because they've gone through it probably before you did. And when they wanted to tell you, to give you some advice to help you maneuver these things, you were like, whatever. Don't talk to me about, what do you understand? You're old. Get away. But it's true that they know things. Believe it or not. It's incredible. I say, funny, right? I know my parents know things. Well, they used to. (laughs) We're not alone. So we can, as it tells us in Romans 12, we can rejoice in hope. We can be patient in tribulation. We can be constant in prayer. We need to be. Because it's a tough job. It is a tough job. And it doesn't get easier, not even when they move out of the house. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that it does. I'm, I want to see what that looks like one day. But since my kids have promised never to move out, I don't know. I... <laughs> Second thing we should remember, fathers, is that his grace is sufficient. Right? His mercy is enough. His love is overflowing. God loves you. God loves you. So be led by God. Be led by his spirit. Be controlled by his spirit. Not by the world. Not by worldly influences. Right? Be set apart. Here's the thing, fathers. This is the hard part. Get this. Don't be your own boss. Don't be your own boss. It tells us in Ezekiel 3, chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears. If you are your own boss, you are not going to hear and receive God's word. You're going to reject it or ignore it if it doesn't line up with what you want it to when you're your own boss. So when God speaks to you through his own word, do the what it says here. Receive it in your heart. Hear it with your ears. What does that mean? That means apply it to your life. Right? Don't ignore it. Don't push it aside. Don't be stubborn or deaf. Turn up the hearing aids. Right? Listen to God's word and apply it. You may be the head of the house. It's true. But guess what? You're under the authority of Jesus. You're under the authority of Jesus. Do not forget that ever. So be vigilant, keep watch, even more so as the day approaches. That's very important today as a father. Lastly, fathers, be known for love. Right? Let's be remembered for loving Jesus. Fatherhood is a job unto the Lord, and it starts by us loving the Lord. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it's boast, it's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Right? Love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never ends. That's obviously a picture of God's love towards us, but that's the example he set for us to follow and that's how we should be as fathers. 
And if you look at that, is that a reflection of your love towards your children, towards your wife, towards your family? Because you might be able to pick out a couple things. Yeah, I'm definitely not that way. But then you look at a couple other things and you're like, well, okay, I'm not that way all the time. Sometimes, though, sometimes I have a problem, maybe. Maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe, okay, maybe partly I'm like this. Maybe, right? God doesn't expect you to be perfect. But God is perfect. And this is God's love for us. And it should be our love for others as well. And it's hard for us as fathers. I, I understand, right? I can be irritable. Trust me. I'm not generally arrogant. I don't even know what it means, to be honest with you. <laughs> Arrogance. I don't usually boast. Well, maybe not. Right? I don't know that I bear all things, though. There's some things I just don't bear. Right? But this is how we should be. And we can look through this list and we can pick it apart, but I don't need to pick it apart because we know how we're supposed to be, fathers. So let this be your love for your families. Let's be remembered for loving Jesus. Right? Let it be today. Amen? Fathers, I hope that your family has something special planned for you today. Have a great day and grab a root beer on us. All right, before you leave, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for today. I thank you for this day in which we honor fathers. I thank you for all the fathers in this room, all the God-fearing, God-loving fathers who are doing their best, Lord, to follow you, to love Jesus, and to love their families, their wives, and their kids. I pray, Lord, that you continue to help us with that, that we just continue to keep our eyes on you, that our focus is on you, Lord, all the time, so that we can set that fatherly example the example that you gave us from God the Father, that we can pass it on. I pray you just bless this day, and I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.